Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Seven dead Americans. At least 14 still missing as well as it's now midnight on day six of the war in Israel. Tonight, Israeli airstrikes continue to pummel Gaza. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, making a visit to Tel Aviv today, while the White House issued a rare rebuke of the former President Donald Trump. What he said and what the Biden administration is now saying about the fate of a very controversial $6 billion worth of Iranian funds. Plus, as we were just talking about gold bars, cash, a hidden Mercedes, and now prosecutors say he should be viewed as a foreign agent. New charges today against a sitting United States senator, the Democrat, Bob Menendez, and a live look at Capitol Hill, where the House of Representatives still does not have a leader. What in the world is going on there? The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, and thank you for being with us here on The Hill. Once again, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Dan Cannonan, a former Obama campaign official and a Democratic strategist. That, though, is Ashley Davis. Uh, that'd be weird if that was Dan. Uh, she is a former George W. Bush White House official. Bruce Melman, who also worked in the Bush administration. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama administration official and News Nation contributor. Keep that shot, Dan. Ashley, Bruce, Johanna, <laughs> thank you to you all. Mick Mulvaney, by the way, of course, is the uh, former chief of staff during the Trump administration, News Nation political and economic contributor, and joins us remotely as well. Well, if you are uh, one of the Harvard students who signed the anti-Israel letter, good luck potentially getting a job from Bill Ackman and at least many more CEOs beyond that. The famed billionaire, famed investor, has some strong words for those students who are blaming Israel for Hamas's attacks. He posted a message, a couple of them really, on X, and he is doubling down on his comments from yesterday. Here's part of an excerpt. He says, quote, if you were a managing, if you were managing rather, a business, would you hire someone who blamed the despicable violent acts of a terrorist group on the victims? I don't think so. He further added, it is not harassment to seek uh, to understand the character of the candidates that you are considering for employment. Johanna, this is a famed investor saying, you know what, enough of what's going on at Harvard. By the way, here's the headline of the New York Post today. Schooled on hate is the front page of the New York Post. And Bill Ackman is saying, look, if you're one of these students, I want to know who you are. Because in the business world, we ain't going to hire you. I don't know when we lost the ability to have empathy for students who are learning, many of whom didn't even see the letter that they were signing on to. But this is not going to sit well at, in the aftermath for businesses. They, they, I've seen this over and over where they chime in really quickly. You've got the CEO of Sweetgreen now chiming in and saying he's never going to hire one of these students who may not have even seen the letter, who now have buses, have 
vans driving around with their face on it around Harvard's campus. This has gotten insane, and these are students. It is just awful. It's an education teaching moment. They are wrong about this statement. That's what I was going to ask you. They are wrong okay. about this statement, but we need to teach them that and not put their face on a billboard and parade it so around. So there's, there's like a van that's driving around that's that's releasing some of the names. Mulvaney, uh, former White House chief of staff, Harvard grad as well. What do you make of what Bill Ackman uh, is saying? Basically, look, put your name behind it so so we don't hire you. I loved it. And as much as I, I enjoy being here in Key West, I'd love to be there with Johanna to, to have this face. I, I, I very rarely disagree with her as aggressively as I'm going to do right now. That's Surprised crazy. you have Even a vest on if you're in Key West, by the way. I have the floral shirt if you I'll put it on for the next block. No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Look, these are the same students who have been running professors out of their jobs. So let me let me get this right. Now we're supposed to treat them as just students making honest mistakes that don't have any long-term implications in life. But when they were running professors out of Harvard, out of Georgetown, out of Chicago, out of South Carolina over the course of the last years, then that was okay. Listen, the great thing that's going to come out of this exchange with Bill Ackman is that people are going to realize that virtue signaling isn't free. If you're going to take a side, you better be able to, to debate it. Now, to Ackman's credit, and I think Joanna would agree with this as well, the, the, I think the theme of his message was, if you make a mistake, the time to fix it is now. So I don't think he's saying that this is a scar against you forever, but he is driving home that the stuff you do in college counts, and it should, uh, and it hasn't for too long now. Virtue signaling isn't free, says Mick. Is, is, is that the takeaway here? Yeah, One I mean, I completely agree with 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 Mick. I think that um, the, if the kids didn't, the students didn't read the letter, then shame on them. Then don't put your name yeah. on the letter. I mean, especially these kids grew up in the social media world where things go viral, and CEOs are able to make the decision of who they hire. And I also think that the president of the of Harvard should have come out a lot earlier, saying that we don't support terrorist groups. Could I, can I split the difference between Mick oh, yeah. and Joanna? Because yep. I think there's actually a little bit of golf there that I'm, I'm there on. I think there's consequences for sure. Virtue signaling is not free, and these kids should learn that. If I was an employer looking at that statement, I'd have some super hard questions. I probably wouldn't bring that person in. Uh, and, and it was a terrible statement to make. It was an, it was we probably a wouldn't, you would, said. Would not. Would not. Sorry. Okay. Would no. not. Let me be clear. Um, but at the same time, I don't think billionaires and, and, and very wealthy, influential people need to go punch down on these kids. Let, let their future employers, let their folks at the folks at Harvard, let the people that are criticizing the letter take that and make that a real um, uh, m- moment for them. But you don't need to punch down that hard. What happened to freedom of speech and the Republicans being against cancel culture? Well, <laughs> I, think as, I think as Mick said, the folks who were uh, the most aggressive at cancel culture now find themselves accountable for mm. what they had to say. That seems to me closer to justice. But look, we were, we've been through a bunch of years where the leaders of universities were afraid of their students. In the same way some employers were afraid of their employees, we were due to get to some kind of natural reset where what you say could come back to bite you whether you're on the left or you're on the right. And maybe folks thinking before they tweet, that should make for a healthier country. Hey, Mick, before we go, uh, should the president of, of wedding your alma mater step down as a result of this? Um, no, listen, I, I'm not. In, that's that's where I'm Johanna. I'm, I'm not into this cancel culture. If you make mistakes, admit it and move okay. on. But let's have the debate. I, I, I think this is healthy in the long term. I really do. I do think the pendulum is coming back in the middle. I don't want to see it to go too far to the other side again. All right. Well, meantime, uh, in Israel now, troops are moving toward the border with Gaza ahead of a potential ground invasion as Israeli and U.S. officials look for ways to free 
many of the hostages believed to be held by Hamas. Back here at home, the former president, Donald Trump, took time in his speech last night, did you see this, to criticize the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over Israel's role in the killing uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, of a top Iranian commander. Watch. I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. I will say that. So we were disappointed by that, very disappointed. But we did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. And then uh, Bibi tried to take credit for it. That wasn't good. That didn't make me feel too good, but that's all right. Mick, obviously starting with you here, uh, when, when you heard that, you thought what? You know, I'm going to be wrong about this because I've been wrong about this for the last six years, but I couldn't help but wonder if this is the bridge too far for Donald Trump. He's now said nice things about Hamas. I think he said they were geniuses in how they, they've conducted themselves. Just think about that. He's a genius about people who've been cutting the heads off of babies. Allow that to please sink in. Uh, and now to attack Netanyahu. Look, there's going to be a lot of political repercussions to Netanyahu, but it's not going to be about stuff that happened five and six years ago with Donald Trump. It's going to be what happened in the last six or seven days. That That's a reckoning that's coming, but it's not the right time to do it right now. Is this the thing that starts to turn some, some of Trump's MAGA uh, supporters against him? Probably not, but this is really pushing the envelope, in my opinion. All right. Uh, I, I you know, it was interesting hearing what he said last night. I, and then I woke up this morning and read a, a report in Politico as it relates to President Biden's speech yesterday that he gave right around this time yesterday. And, and basically the report from Politico was they kept bringing the, the script, the draft script to President Biden, and he got rid of all the wishy-washy stuff yeah. and said, let's level it up. Here's Politico, quote, the speech that came into prep and the speech that came out were vastly different, said one knowledgeable source. Whenever an aide tried to water it down or both sides it, Biden angrily and forcefully shot it down. So it seems like you have the current president and the former president going in, in seemingly, at least on the rhetoric, in yeah. two different two different directions here, Johanna. Yeah, you do. And look, a lot of people like to say that the president is in, in charge, but he was taking charge in this situation. And I do believe every person who I've talked to is in the administration says he's very much in charge, especially at these critical moments. And he's a huge supporter and always has been of, his, of Israel. So I think that this is true and this is... Well, there have been some, some criticisms of, of the Obama-Biden Obama, Obama Biden administration at the end, what happened with Israel, and then certainly the tense relationship between Netanyahu. Biden and Netanyahu. I understand that, but you have to think that that was... I mean, the president's still the president, the vice president's still the vice president. But when he, in the 70s, started visiting, that was his first official, official trip as senator, was to Israel. I think he has a true... Um, belief in supporting them, and I think he's doing a good job. Well, you also have Franklin Foer in his book, The Last Politician About Biden, yeah. pointed out that Biden's strategy towards Netanyahu was smother him with love. Yeah. So Are, it's strategic. So th there's obviously the, the rhetoric, right? And then there's the policy. So I, I was reading that in Politico, like, oh, they, 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 you know, he wanted to amp up the speech. And then, you know, I, I go back to this Washington Post headline from today on the policy. Quote, Trump drew a red line with Iran on killing Americans. Biden must enforce it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there is the talk, but then there are also the actions. Does Joe Biden need to go where Donald Trump went when he was the commander Donald Trump did not go there, and neither did Republicans. Ar Iran supplies the drones to Russia 
that are part of the drone strikes on innocent Ukrainians, which is why Putin cannot condemn Hamas and the Republicans and folks in the Trump camp who are political shields for Vladimir Putin and therefore with Hamas. There is no red line in reality. That is rhetoric. And can I just read one thing, Blake, from an Israeli minister, Shlomo Carney, in response to Trump's comments? It's a shame that a person, a former president, assists in propaganda and disseminating things that harm the spirit of IDF fighters and the spirit of Israeli Israel's residents. It is a travesty. But I, I know you're, you're trying to link this to the Trump and Russia and, and what you call the staff. But, I mean, here, here's Jan, uh, June of, of 2019. Pompeo warns Iran about trigger for U.S. military action as some administration question aggressive policy. He basically told Iran, if you touch a U.S. troop, we're coming after you. We haven't heard that language as aggressive as it relates to Iran from Joe Biden at any point over the last six days. I also think, sorry, did you have No, go ahead. No, I, I also think, going back to saying you know, that I do think he's doing a good job of what he's saying, but the policies leading up to this, America looks really weak on the world stage, and we all know. No matter what people think of Donald Trump, he... People didn't mess with us because they were scared to death of what he was going to do. And so whether that worked or not, it was a strategy, and he knew it was a strategy. Well, However, on, but- no, I just want to say one thing. What happened in Afghanistan... Actually, what happened with Obama back in Syria, where he put the red, red line, line down and never did anything, right. and then you go to Afghanistan, which was a complete embarrassment, and then you give six, the $6 billion conversation that we'll have later. But, I mean, it's just... You must be reading the teleprompter, because that's oh, what's no. going next. <laughs> well, but, but there was an unprecedented, you know, uh, uh, the France, UK, Germany, America, on one statement on Monday that President Biden right. led and got folks together on, he did a masterful job of getting the Western world united in this moment. He's not done nothing. He's done an incredible job leading, while Trump is inflaming and creating disinformation at the same time. All right, Kelly Meyer. Uh, so you just heard Ashley there to reference the six billion dollars. It's it's the the money that's in an account right now in in Qatar. There was this uh, prisoner swap between the U.S. and the Iranians in the recent weeks. Six billion dollars. And, and Kelly, as you know, there's there've been a lot of Republicans now saying, "Whoa, like we need to freeze this six billion dollars. It can't be going to Iran." But now we're learning of essentially sort of like a, a secret side hush deal. What what'd you learn today? What's going on? Well, it's really a split screen here, Blake. On one side of Pennsylvania Avenue at Capitol Hill, we're hearing from sources that this is confirmed. On the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue here at the White House, they just aren't willing to go there. We heard from um, sources that House Democrats got this briefing today by the Deputy Treasury Secretary that the U.S. and Qatar had reached this agreement to cut off Iran's access to that $6 billion in humanitarian assistance, the same $6 billion that was involved in the Iranian hostage deal that was uh, caused a lot of controversy. As you said, Republicans were pushing President Biden to refreeze these funds, uh, but the White House just wouldn't say whether or not this was happening. They got asked about it every which way here inside the White House press briefing that we were at today. And John Kirby, uh, the White House spokesperson, was saying that money hasn't left Qatar's bank, uh, that money can still be frozen again, but wouldn't say whether or not it was. And he was asked, you know, hasn't this policy changed or is it something that's been changing over the last 24 hours and you just don't want to say? And John Kirby said, bingo, the latter. So they just aren't willing to go there. And another question was about whether or not they are trying not to go there because it would admit some sort of culpability on the part of Iran and the White House just isn't willing to go 
there yet either because they are saying that they don't have an intel link between Iran and the attack on Hamas. We heard from U.S. officials that they have this, uh, the uh, in the intelligence community, this consensus that they just haven't seen that piece of information that directly links Iran to the attack by Hamas on Israel. Blake? Kelly Meyer, live for us on the North Lawn. Kelly, thank you. Uh, when you, uh, you, you know, it, there's this question of essentially whether there's this side arrangement now uh, with Qatar over this $6 billion. And, I, you know, I just start wondering, man, when you start doing side hush deals, that just sort of goes down a dangerous road. And it, it fits the pattern that we heard uh, from within the White House today that they're just not willing to talk about or to touch anything at this moment that deals with Iran. Yeah. Uh, hey, the world is a complicated place and the Middle East is a complicated place. And there's a bunch of different moving pieces and parts. And I've actually I've got sympathy for the White House right now, what they're going through, because they're in a pinch. If exactly what you say, if they let the money go, they get blamed. If they don't let the money go, then what does that mean? So it's a tough position. Here's the end of the day. And it, this ties into the previous discussion you all just had. You know, words it seem to matter a lot. It's what we do for a living. We make our living talking right in the international arena actions are what count. You can say all you want to about red lines. You say what you want to about you might or might not do. It's actions that count. Talk is cheap. And we're going to judge the Biden administration over the last 72 hours and over the next six weeks on this by how they act a lot more than by what they say. So let's continue yeah. to watch what they do. They seem to be doing the right thing so far. Hence, hence what I was, was saying, you know, there's there's the rhetoric and, and then there's the actions, as you say. Uh, Johanna, this this six yeah. billion, there's been a lot of discussion yeah. over it. Well, and I am very happy that we have our hostages home from Iran at this moment and not a dime has been spent of that money. They are undoubtedly using it as leverage. And every time a reporter asks them to say, yes, they're going to freeze it or no, they're not going to do this. You know, if they're trying to get the Iranians to get Hamas to release hostages, this is what they've got. And everybody keeps asking about him, putting them in an awkward position. Unfortunately, of course, we don't have our hostages. We only have the hostages Iran was holding, not the ones. Hamas the Iran yeah. hostages. These. Right. Yes, they've right. been hold, held for a very long time. No, understood. My biggest worry is uh, this past 72 hours. This is the easiest week. This only gets harder from here. You know, whether it's dealing with Hamas, whether it's Israel's reaction, whether it's Saudi's reaction, Iran's reaction, uh, the, the U.S. response, and I think the president's speech was strong and he was forceful, but this all gets harder from here. Well, I agree with that. And I would say that when you look at what Trump is doing, sorry to bring it back to politics, Blake, but I just have to. No, no, go for it. I mean, do you want someone who's making the kind of statements he's making dealing with this this very delicate negotiation on leverage with Iran and with Hamas and with Israel? Or do you want someone who is cautiously and carefully bringing the world together and making sure-footed steps? But, you know, if we had someone from the Trump administration here, they would say there were 58 hostages. We got them all back, got them all with, at a, without paying a dime. The world was a safer place then. Look at... Look at what's going on now. I, I would assume that that would be the argument. Sure, and kudos for that. But but in this moment, we're talking about a very tense situation where there are two million uh, Palestinian civilians living in Gaza who are now going to be um, under extreme duress. You've got the Israelis under extreme duress already and this terrible murder situation. It's, it is vital that you take care here. Trump is not taking care. And these words, actions do matter, but the words create actions of their own. All right, Mulvaney, stand by. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to here on the other side. Coming up, though, gold bars, cash, a hidden Mercedes. Now prosecutors say there is much more than that. Why they are now contending that a current United States senator is also a foreign agent. 
helping out a country in the Middle East. What it all means for Bob Menendez. And just hitting my inbox moments ago, Menendez is now speaking out. What he's saying when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. The New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez now facing more charges. Federal prosecutors alleging the senator, who used to lead the Foreign Relations Committee, and his wife, they say, acted as unregistered foreign agents on behalf of Egypt. The latest indictment reads in part, quote, Menendez also improperly advised and pressured an official at the United States Department of Agriculture for the purpose of protecting a business monopoly granted to a certain individual by Egypt. Now, that is quite the contrast from the senator's own website, which includes this section right here. You see part of it. It says, quote, our office cannot compel an agency to act in your favor or expedite your case and cannot overturn or influence matters involving private businesses, which is essentially what he's accused of doing. Johanna, Dan, yeah. uh, does he need to step down? Does he need to go? He's not he going. does. He needs to step down. And look, we've got Democrats already saying that. I also do remember when our former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, was accused of being a registered foreign agent. I have a problem with all of it. And yes, he should resign. I agree. He should go. And I think the Senate will take up the question at some point of whether or not to compel him to go. John Fetterman's yep. already calling yeah, for so, that. So John Fetterman saying he should be expelled, saying Senator Menendez should not be a U.S. senator. He goes on to say we cannot have an alleged foreign agent in the U.S. Senate. This is not a close call. Expelling him would take it up another level. It sure would. I mean, the reason not to do that is as a primary coming up next year, voters can make this decision. And, and the polls have it very clear that, that he's not going to survive this in a primary fight. So he will go one way or the other. He should resign. And if he doesn't, I think it's a very compelling question as to whether or not you need to compel him to leave through expulsion. We haven't, though, seen Republicans step up and say, this guy needs to go. <laughs> Except Mitt Romney. It's, uh, obviously, what he's, accused, well, first, what he's accused of is not good. <laughs> Second, in theory, people are innocent until proven guilty. He beat the rap last time. Based upon prosecutors and everything one reads, he's got a big problem this time. If I were Chuck Schumer, if I were the Democrats, I'd be doing everything I could to get him out. You know, for the Republicans, we'd love to see him on the ballot because he's a lot beat, more beatable in New Jersey than pretty much anybody else. Right. But, you know, this one is one for the Dems to either to sort out or uh, looking for a Republican to pick up a seat in New Jersey. Yeah, we just don't need to comment on it because it's actually good for us because it's taking It's like what's going on us. in the House, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like what's exactly, going on. Like yeah. Democrats in the House are like, you're a mess, and, and Republicans in the Senate are like, you're a mess. Exactly. Uh, Mick, uh, what do you make of, of federal prosecutors going back? I mean, a, a foreign agent, like, that brings it, you know, when you're talking about a sitting senator, and I believe we have our first wardrobe change, change <laughs> in the Hill and News Nation history. Mulvaney now in his keys attire. Mick, you look fantastic. I am I'll not going to sit from here. Invest. If I'm going to sit here and invest, I'm going to have people say nice things about it. If you guys are make fun of what I'm wearing, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. Um, look, with Menendez, here's, here's what I keep coming back to, is that in the past when this has happened, this, uh, sitting lawmakers have used their position as part of a, a plea bargain deal. He's got until the primary next spring to cut a deal. My guess is he will try to cut a plea bargain that involves him leaving office. Uh, but he has to cut that deal while he still has, has an office to leave. My guess is you let Schumer, Schumer will let this thing play out, let Menendez leave under his own authority uh, in the next couple of months. 
By the way, uh, Bob Menendez has given a statement to NBC News. He, he says, according to the statement he's given them, piling new charge upon new charge does not make the allegations true. The facts haven't changed, only a new charge. Uh, but Gold bars? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, all of these things, I'm sorry you don't take all this money out, and it's just for a rainy day. But if you don't trust the banks, I don't think you should be representing, I don't know, the Democratic people <laughs> of New Jersey. Yeah. And so I'm sorry. We are seeing even Cory Booker, who is from his home state of New Jersey, say you don't have a right to use our people Governor, as leverage on your case. Governor Phil Murphy, too, etc. Uh, we mentioned John Fetterman. He's calling for his expulsion. He was on uh, late night television last night. Here he was. You all should need to know that America is not sending their best and brightest, you know, to Washington, D.C. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. It got laughs at the time while others are saying, look in the mirror. So is this cringe? Is it actually self-awareness? We will discuss it, plus Mulvaney's self-awareness. My goodness, a first on this show. We love you, Mick. Hang in there. We'll be back on the other side. All right, so did you see this last night? Senator John Fetterman calling out some of his own colleagues. He was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. The Pennsylvania Democrat mocked the quality of some of the lawmakers on Capitol Hill. You all should need to know that America is not sending their best and brightest, you know, to Washington, D.C. Yes. Like, sometimes, sometimes you literally just can't believe, like, you know, these people are making the decisions that are, you know, determining the, the government here. It's, it's, it's actually scary. Cringe or self-awareness? What, what is that? I thought it was funny. I also appreciated that it looks like he's recovered pretty Yeah, you, you, it was definitely... I, yeah, and I, I am very pleased to see that because strokes, I, I've, we have loved ones who are going through that recovery and it's just terrible. He still uses some technology and they explained it last night to, to help him through the process, but you can clearly see a step up in his recovery to the point where he was was cracking that joke. I don't know. What do, you, what do you make of it? Well, look, so first, if Pennsylvania was going to send the best and brightest, it would have been Senator Dave McCormick. Okay. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Is he a billionaire? Let's do it. Several hundred. Several hundred. Not a okay. yeah. They're asking for contributions, so I hope he's not. Okay. Right. Uh, and he's a great guy. It, it, the thing for me, though, is while it was, it was definitely funny, you know, it's what you do on a late night show, the idea of build, building yourself up by tearing others down, the idea of dunking on Washington, I mean, that's what animates sort of the Trumpian wing. That's what animates a lot of the folks on the fringe of both parties. And I think part of the challenge, the reason there isn't confidence in Washington and isn't confidence in the institution of government is because of the opportunists who are all about make everybody else look bad to make yourself look good. Mick, you were a target of Stephen Colbert uh, for some time. Uh, what did what, you make of John Fetterman yeah. last night? Stephen Colbert was my coworker for a year when I was at CBS. And look, here's here's I watched that, and I just I wish things were like they used to be, where not everything was politicized. I remember a day in this country where 
comedy shows would beat up on Republicans evenly with Democrats, and it was just funny, and it was it was all in good humor. And now apparently the Colbert show, it has been for several years now, is a political show. He should have been making fun of John Fetterman, and he wasn't. And it's just it's disappointing to watch it now, and you can't laugh at it without picking sides, and that's too bad. Stephen Colbert should have been making fun of, of Fetterman. If I had been on there saying CBS didn't hire the best, he would be making fun of me. So um, it's just it's another lost opportunity to try and uh, renormalize the country. Look, I think it was a pretty funny joke. I think if we were sitting at a bar in, in Scranton or in Pittsburgh or in Madison, Wisconsin, and watching that, we'd be laughing and saying, yeah, that's pretty true. We just did a segment of Bob Menendez hiding gold bars. <laughs> it's, it's evident that we're not sitting our best all of the time. And I get the point about collegiality and, and working with your colleagues, but he didn't punch at anyone in particular. And he does look sharp. He looks quick. And uh, he, I think he's got his finger on the pulse of what Pennsylvanians believe is happening in Washington. I'm a Pennsylvanian, and I don't believe that at all. <laughs> you were a veteran voter? No. <laughs> yes. No. Um, I don't know. The comment doesn't bother me. I mean, it obviously wasn't, it didn't come out right. It was funny, but I mean, it wasn't. But I'm tired, going back to our earlier segment, of everyone getting canceled so easily. And I'm not saying he's getting canceled, but it's just kind of like, as you said about the gold bars, like, it is, it can be kind of crazy here. All right. Well, speaking of sort of, crazy right now. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the House. It is increasingly likely tonight that the Republican nominated to be Speaker Steve Scalise does not have enough votes to actually be elected the Speaker. It comes after Republicans met behind closed doors for hours today trying to find a path forward. And if you know the path forward, please tell us because we would like to know. Congressman Michael McCall, the head of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, expressed this concern, for example, earlier today. But if we don't have a speaker, we can't assist Israel in this great time of need after this terrorist attack. So I think we're playing with fire, and we need to stop playing games and politics with this and, and, and vote a speaker in. That's a Republican there. Michael Schnell, congressional reporter for our partners over at The Hill, joins us now. You know, we, we heard uh, Mike, M Michael McCall there, head of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, express that concern as there is a war ongoing in the Middle East. As you talk to folks there in the halls, Michael, how widespread is that concern? So look, Blake, it's actually a bit of a mixed bag, and it sort of gets into this legal debate and procedural debate about what the House can actually do without a speaker, a permanent speaker in place. Most folks believe that the House is unable to conduct any legislative business without a, a formal speaker in place. Of course, uh, Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry is currently in the position, but he can really only preside over the speaker's race. So you have someone like McCall, who has sponsored a resolution, introduced a resolution, supporting Israel in the wake of the attack and condemning Hamas. He he wants a speaker to conduct this legislative business. But then I spoke to, for example, Chip Roy earlier today, and he essentially said, if the House needs to act, the House will act. We can make uh, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry permanent. We can do different things to have legislative business resume, even without a permanent speaker in place. And McHenry himself said something similar earlier this week. I asked him the same question, and he said, if the government needs to act, the government will act. So that war in Israel, even the looming government funding deadline in November, it's not putting too much pep in the step of these lawmakers. I think it comes back to the idea that they, they truly believe that if it comes to time where the House needs to act in support of Israel, they will have the ability to do so. All right. So, so Michael, uh, Kevin McCarthy is out. His old number two, Steve Scalise, essentially doesn't have the votes right now. So where do things stand as you see it, as you talk to folks, 
uh, in this race. Blake, it's not even that he essentially doesn't have the votes. He doesn't have the votes right now. There are a number of lawmakers, at least eight of them, who have said that they will not support Steve Scalise when his nomination hits the floor, whenever that may be. If we actually get to that point, a number of them are supporting Jim Jordan. One is supporting Kevin McCarthy. So where are things right now? Steve Scalise is currently huddling with a number of those holdouts, presumably trying to flip them into his category. But right now, it doesn't seem to be going so well. Some of those holdouts have emerged from this closed-door meeting saying that they're unmoved. Michael Cloud, Keith Self, both saying that they do not plan to vote for Steve Scalise on the floor. Uh, Congressman Jimenez, who has said that he will support McCarthy, came out of that closed-door meeting and said his vote is still going towards McCarthy. So look, all this cajoling, these backdoor conversations, they don't seem to be doing too much help for Steve Scalise. The big question now is if and when will that nomination go to the floor? It's still not clear. Michael Schnell with The Hill up on Capitol Hill for us once again. Michael, thank you. Um, Mick, so you heard from Michael there. You talked to, to folks on your side as well. How does this end as, as you sit in the keys today and watch it? <laughs> now, I'm here today, but I was there last night, and I talked to supporters of Jim Jordan. I talked to supporters of uh, Steve Scalise, and I talked to folks who um, were undecided, and they all said the same thing, which is that they do not see how Steve gets the votes. They do not see how hmm. Scalise gets to 217 for a variety of reasons, not because he's a bad guy, not because people like him. It just would be there's a variety of reasons that people are taking that position. So I, I tend to agree. You ask me how this ends. I don't know how it ends. No one knows. How, hey, how big is how big is this? How big is this reason, Mick? Here was Donald Trump. Quote, I like Steve. I like both of them very much. But the problem, you know, Steve is a man that is in serious trouble from the standpoint of his cancer. I mean, he's got to get better for himself. Steve Scalise is battling cancer right now. H- how much of the how much, you know, is there worry that, look, it's got to be health first for him at this point? That's some of that. There, there really is. I think there's other folks who think that if Steve thought he could do the job, they would support him. Say, OK, if Steve thinks he can do the job, he can do the job. I don't know how it ends, Blake. I know how it doesn't end. And I, it does not end with Steve Scalise being the, being the Speaker uh, of the House okay. next week or three weeks from now. I think Kevin McCarthy has a better chance of going back than Steve Scalise does. Mick, I am very interested because Jeffries, of course, has the most votes. He's got 212, and you only need 217 to get there. Now, he's saying he's going to give concessions to get Republicans on board for a bipartisan, uh, a bipartisan government. Um, what's the likelihood, given your conversations? I know the problem is Democrats would have to start fundraising and not running against those House uh, Republicans who come over to our side. But what's the likelihood there? Zero. And you know it's zero. That's yeah. never going to happen. It's, 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 I can hope. A girl can but hope, Mick. If you really want to have a serious discussion about a bipartisan speaker, let's have it. But Hakeem Jeffries is not that person. Hakeem Jeffries right. is the Democrat majority leader. If there's going to be some type of compromised person, and I don't see it going that way, but if it is, it's going to be a centrist Republican or a centrist Democrat, most likely in this House, a centrist Republican supported by centrist Democrats. It's never going to be the Democrat majority, a minority leader who becomes the bipartisan right. leader of the House. So, so we, we've talked about a lot of the madness going on in Washington right now. I think we found the thing that takes the top of the list. Mm. The comments today from Congressman George Santos. Watch. I've reached out numerous times to to Congressman Scalise, and me reaching out and asking him for guidance in his leadership and him not reaching back out, that's a dereliction of his duty as a leader. So I'm not voting for somebody who lacks fundamental leadership. 
He's, he's, he's got a problem with the feds right now, and he's calling Steve Scalise a dereliction of duty for not reaching out to him. I don't even want to give his comments any sort of credit for anything he says. So, I mean, I, can I just take one step back? Sure, I sure. think Scalise, because it is ridiculous, but I think Scalise has 24 hours, and then he's going to step aside okay. and not run, because I don't think that there's, I don't think there's any way he's going to get the votes. But I also want to say, because I keep hearing this over and over and over again, like we can't do anything on Israel. And obviously Michael said that like, if the House needs to do something, I really think there's going to be a situation where McHenry does get more power hmm. and they actually give, you know, they, they just did this after 9-11 to make sure that there was a speaker, yeah. but they, they, they never like filled in the gap. So I think they'll do that. And finally, the Senate can start led- Legislation and kick it over to the House. Right. So the Senate hasn't been money. in this week. Correct. Democratic-controlled so Senate hasn't been in this week. They'll, we have another convincing. week, probably, yeah. with Senate procedures. All right. Well, coming up, it is one of the most popular restaurants in the country. And now they say they are raising prices. The government today reporting it is all part of a trend as prices keep going higher and how the president might have to make a decision involving gas prices coming up. That is next. We'll connect all the dots here when The Hill on News Nation returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, so before we go, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, met survivors at a Tel Aviv donation center earlier today. Here's just one exchange that the Secretary of State had with them. We're strong here. We're powerful here in this place now in Tel Aviv and everywhere. You know, I watch that and I think we, we talk about the politics and what this all means. But at the end of the day, this is about people. And, and you saw it there with the secretary of state. They, this response needs to be with humanity. And I'm very glad that this administration brings that humanity to situations like this. It's human. And we have to condone this. That We, we have to absolutely throw like Hamas is a terrorist organization.